When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Jones! Bowden! He's got it! England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins! Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four and England have won the match! Hello, welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. That commentary line, the barest of margins, is it going to happen again? England are in the final for the second time in three years. A World Cup final beckons for England. A World Cup title beckons. They could be the first team ever to hold both the 50-over World Cup trophy and the 20-over World Cup trophy. Who would have guessed that, Simon Mann, even three days ago, that it was going to be England v Pakistan in the World T20 final in Melbourne on Sunday. A repeat, of course, of that great match 30 years ago at the same ground. Well, England lost to Ireland early in the tournament. Pakistan lost to Zimbabwe and they're both in the final. It's been an unpredictable, topsy-turvy T20 World Cup. And I don't think anybody would, would have thought that today's game would have turned out in the way it did. OK, England, yeah, could could win the game. Uh, India starting as favourites. But to win by 10 wickets with four overs to spare is absolute thrashing and such a dominant display by England and about as well, I think, as I've ever seen them bat in, in white ball cricket. I mean, they, they did a couple of performances sort of came to mind, the, the one against India at Edgbaston and the World Cup semi-final against Australia at Edgbaston. When they weren't under quite as much pressure, Australia hadn't scored that many in their innings, but England just romped to victory. They absolutely smashed it everywhere. And so, you know, so it was a bit sort of resonant of that, but against a, you know, a good India side to beat them like that. And if, if, if we're at a football match, I don't know if you've, how many football matches you've been to, but normally uh, the away side, if they don't think there's much atmosphere in the ground, they sing, is this a library? And the Adelaide Oval was a bit like a library for most of that England innings. England silenced them. I thought you sang, who are you, when you're starting to hammer the opposition. So it would have well, been tempting well, of England but... to England fans to be singing that in the second half of the uh, the Adelaide run chase. Well, there weren't many England fans there. Cause it was probably about 90% India and they were totally silenced. Yeah, an amazing performance by England. And actually, you know, one thing to think about really is how many players they've lost. Because obviously Jason Roy dropped uh, out of form. Bairstow injured. Also, they lost uh, Reese Topley before the first match in, in this tournament. Jofra Archer ruled out a while ago, and then losing Mark Wood and David Milan before this game. So it's an amazing injury list, but 
still they prevailed and and as you say it was an absolute shellacking of india who i think probably to everyone were were one of the favorites of the tournament and they looked pretty good leading into this match and they were just absolutely obliterated amazing you can imagine the criticism that's going to be flying around uh, in India. I mean, people take this—you know—they they, they take it hard, don't they? When you when you lose a big match, especially in the manner that you know, transpired in, in in Adelaide today, with England so dominant in their their batting effort, you can imagine the the criticism would be surround India's approach. It was a very similar approach actually to New Zealand's yesterday. They were quite they're quite similar semi-finals, both of them. Uh, New Zealand getting a score on the board, thinking they could defend it. Pakistan. You know, romping to victory, not quite as emphatically as England, but but still pretty uh, clearly. And England doing the same to India today. So what about India's approach? Did England bowl well? Is it just that India are quite conservative in their mindset? I, I noticed actually that here's something, just one of those I don't know, coincidences, whatever, but perhaps it's not such a coincidence, that New Zealand in their power play yesterday scored 38. They were 38 for two. And India in their power play today were... 38 for one there wasn't a real attempt much of an attempt to really put England under pressure they they, they just sort of sat in a bit and tried to build it for later it I thought England do it at the start India do it at the end although as it turned out England did it throughout their innings <laughs> funnily enough I, I got a lot of stick from Indian fans a few years ago for saying that I thought they were unambitious in power plays you know, regardless of the class of somebody like Rohit Sharma, who's an undoubtedly world-class player, and actually Kale Rahul is, is a damn good player as well. But I felt in world tournaments that they were a bit overcautious in power plays and left it all to the back end. And I think it's it's still the case that the, the, these players, uh, Rohit Sharma not really quite at the top of his game at the moment, so still... Felt like he was still trying to find his way. Mm. Uh, Kale Rahul is quite an orthodox player who looks to, in T20, try and bat the whole innings and maybe get to 80 to 100 if he bats the whole innings. But he tends to accelerate later as well. And that seems to be the wrong way to go about it, given that a lot of these pitches have been, if, if not used, then at least they're not absolutely perfectly fresh. Therefore, the best time to bat will always be the first five or six overs where the ball slides onto the bat. Alex Hales said that uh, about this match, uh, Adelaide Oval, best time to bat is the first 10 overs. Go for it then, try and knock the top off the run chase. England did that absolutely supremely well. And I just feel India also, you know, they, they, they've they invented T20 or reinvented T20 through the IPL and have obviously created lots of brilliant players through it, not the least of whom is uh, Shirakuma Yadav, who is you know, a tremendously successful and, and exciting player, who does, uh, uh, dare, he's a daring player, he, play, he plays all sorts of unusual shots, but they haven't got many players like that, and England are absolutely littered with them. Mm. What about Coley's approach? Uh, you know, he made another half century, didn't he? 50 or 40 balls and then got out you know got out straight away after reaching his half century i mean he was a bit unlucky actually i, I mean he played well he played really well uh, it, it's not easy when actually he was starved of the strike a fair bit in the middle yeah. of his innings but i thought he played pretty well and you know actually a brilliant catch by adil rashid got him out just when he was probably going to step on the gas a bit so he was a little bit unlucky, but even Coley is a very orthodox player. He's slightly easier to set a field to than the, the likes of Butler or you know some of the other England players because they do 
play that full 360 degree game. I'm not trying to under, I mean, Coley's record in, in T20 nationals is incredible, isn't it? He's averaging 85. It's so it's amazing, but India haven't won the tournament since 2007. Yeah, there's another thing as well today. I mean, they've got a player like Rishabh Pant. Okay, he's only just sort of come in because of injury to Dinesh Kartik behind the stumps. They got they got Rishabh Pant, and he there was barely any opportunity for him because of the way they played, because of that conservative approach. I know Pandya played really well at the end, but at one stage, they were 121 for three after 17 overs, and Pant was still waiting. And you, you feel when you've got a resource like that, that... You know, you, you do need to sort of take it on a bit more. I, I, it's all, it's so easy, isn't it, in, in hindsight? I mean, I, I have to say, at the, ha- at the halfway stage, with the sort of impetus given to them by Hardik Pandya, I thought one six eight was a, you know, a, a yeah, decent enough score in a semi final. Yeah, you know, you can you can win with that scoreboard pressure. Uh, you know, a g- good side, crowd behind you, good you know, bowling you often, attack as well. Yeah, decent, decent bowling, bowling attack. Yeah, decent bowling attack, and you often find. You know, in, in T20 cricket, teams that get about 160, 170 actually creates a really good game of cricket. Often, you know, often it's all it's it's roughly the perfect score, isn't it, to have a a, a real tight game. And you know, when when England started off, I thought this this is this is going to be tight game. You know, I, I my my thought was probably India by just a handful of runs. I, I saw you tweet that as well. You said I think mm. India by six runs, and that was sort of where I was as well. Uh, because of the recent history, because of the pressure of a semi-final, because the ball was turning a bit, grabbing a bit, and it, it looked it looked quite a tricky run chase. But I mean, Hales and Butler just you know, went for it from the start. I thought actually there's an interesting thing happened right at the start of the innings. Bhuvaneshwar Kumar, you rightly pointed out on the podcast uh, yesterday that he's got Butler quite a few times. But Butler changed his his approach. He came down the pitch first ball. Kumar bought it a bit wide. It was given as a wide. I was a bit surprised at that. I thought that was a really tough call. It just seemed to unsettle a bit. The keeper came up to the stumps. Kumar bowled a wide ball. Butler hit it for four. And so suddenly England were five off one ball. And it, it was just a little battle that, that Butler won. He hit another ball for four through extra cover. Kumar got a bit straighter. Butler clipped him through mid-wicket for four. So 13 off the first over. And suddenly England's confidence was lifted after you know a difficult last five or six overs when they were bowling. Mm. So it was a good uh, strategy from England. And you know, if we look back to the 2019 semi-final against Australia, you know, and, and the previous games which they had to win, the one against India and the one against New Zealand, they really adopted, readopted this sort of fearless approach. And this was something I suspected or suggested they might do coming into this game. But actually, it wasn't so much about fearlessness. It was more about clever strategy, wasn't it? And trying to just... Just knock the opposition off balance a bit. And that worked really well with that first couple of overs. And so suddenly India had to change the bowling. I mean, Arshdeep Singh only bowled with his one over at the start. Bhubaneswar carried on, but he just couldn't create any threat. And the, and the thing is that with the, the T20, uh, the white ball only swings really for one or two overs at the most. So in a way, Butler had negated the potential threat of Bhubaneswar Bhuvaneshwar Kumar in that first over by taking it for 13 and after that he had nothing much to give so then they had to start ringing the changes and bringing in spinners in the power play and things like that and Hales did his bit did his bit as well didn't he I mean he just thrashed a couple of big sixes to the longest boundaries at the Adelaide Oval picked up on slightly short of a length ball and flayed it uh, uh, over the short square boundaries. And I think one thing that England did very well, you know, once the partnership was was up and running, was they did really exploit those short square boundaries better than India did. I thought another interesting thing happened inside the power play as well. So 
Akshay Patel came on to bowl the fourth over, and he, he tends to bowl it sort of hard into the pitch, doesn't he? He doesn't. He doesn't sort of give in the in the power play. You won't give it flight, and, and he's not a great big spin on the ball anyway. And what England did, they got right deep in their crease and lifted him over extra cover. So it's quite a difficult shot to play, but and he was hit for first ball. So th- what the point being that the spinners were never able to create any pressure. And actually, even when Ashwin came on, I, I texted you, I said, they should, they, the position they're in now, Ashwin's a potential threat, he's going to get the ball to turn, and he did get one to really rip, didn't there? was an appeal for a sort of a, a catch-out towards the short leg area with the keeper running round that was just came off the thigh pad. So I thought, just milk it, hit ones and twos, just tick Ashwin over, take him for, you know, like they do with Rashid Khan, say, in a... Or, or Ali or Rashid taking him for about 24 something like that don't, don't be too aggressive and then of course Hales just whacked him into the into the stand the deep backwards square leg and so that you know they played yeah. Ashwin really well and the point being the spinners they never had anything to bowl with really they, they were always under pressure and having to sort of get wickets really and that, that's not a great position often for, for a spinner to be in in a T20 match you want pressure so the batters have to take them on and if there's a bit of turn it's, you know, it becomes really difficult you, got, you miscue catches in the ring catches in the deep and you, and you have your joy, don't you? They negated his uh, uh, opportunity for a man cat as well, didn't they? Did you see Butler? Deep in his well crease. Well in his crease. Yeah. Deep in his crease when man, uh, when when Ravi Ashwin was, was bowling. And this contrasts with England's approach against the Indian spinners, contrasts quite a bit with India's approach against particularly Rashid and also Liam Livingston, who I thought they allowed them to bowl a bit too much. Mm. I thought Rashid bowled really well. Just when Rohit Sharma was was thinking about setting himself to to, to to plant him a couple of times over deep wicket, he fired them in a bit quicker. And uh, I think he read what Rohit Sharma was trying to do. I thought Kohli could have been a bit more adventurous. And then, of course, Rashid took the key wicket of Surakumar Yadav as well. Uh, and good, good catch on the on the cover boundary. But just a little hint of turn mm. there that just enabled him to get that, that wicket. And his control... Rashid's control, he bowled one full toss, which only went for a single. But other than that, his control was absolutely immaculate. And it's so difficult to do that in that pressure situation with the leg spin, you know, and these masters of, of spin as well at the other end and a pretty flat pitch. I thought his his control was exemplary, but the Indians could have tried more, especially against Liam Livingston, who's not an experienced spinner, doesn't have, uh, as far as I know, doesn't have a good, good googly. So they could have been a bit more aggressive against him, but they just sort of sat in and they hit the odd boundary. But that's, I think, where their innings didn't really start to get any momentum and it left too much for the, for the last guys to do at the end. Well, they were 62 for two after 10 overs. And England was sixty-three for no wicket after six after the power play. So you know, that—that's you know when you look back, it's, that's one of the areas. Yeah, but it, it's that—that that is one of the areas. But it's also keeping that if you have got to sixty-three after the, the power play six overs, it's then kicking on after that. Those over six to ten can start when the field go back, and suddenly batsmen are sort of well, it's not quite so easy to hit a boundary now, and they they cut sometimes they rain back. I think India do. They sort of rain back a bit. And that's when you almost need that power, that extra power surge to continue the the excellent work you've done in the power play, which England did very well. Yeah, it, it, England did. They just kept on going. Just on that, those four overs after the India's power play, so they went to the power play at thirty-eight for one. They scored twenty-four off the next four overs, and, and that, that underlines your point. You know, with the field back, they just knocking it around. So they, yeah, they went at, at six and over, and then the real surge came after the ten-over mark when they were sixty-two for two, and then they got 
over 100 runs in the last 10 and that and that's where the game seemed to change a bit and you know we had we saw Hardik Pandya having a an evening out didn't he I mean he's, he's such a devastating hitter when it's when it's his night uh, there was one ball where he hit uh, Jordan for six and then uh, from a short ball and the next ball he pitched it up it was probably just a bit too leg side and Pandya flicked it into the crowd at deep square leg and Jordan was sort of walking back almost smiling to himself and shaking his head as if to say you know wow what, what am I supposed to do you know I bowl it short it goes for six I pitch it up it goes for six uh, not, not easy uh, when, when Pandya was in that sort of mood he, he, he's got he's an extravagant hitter and he, he sort of hits it in odd areas doesn't he and hit, hits it in odd ways well, he hit, he hit one from Sam Curran, which I reckon was a, a perfect wide Yorker, would yeah. have landed pretty much on the popping crease, wide of the off stump, and he steered it mm. immaculately, just wide of short point and wide of the deep point, just managed to get in the gap between them for four. Now, I don't think it was possible for Sam Curran to bowl a better ball than that, given what he was aiming to do. Yeah. He couldn't have done it any better and still Pandya got it for a boundary. So a fantastic player and just not able to have the the impact with the ball that I thought he might have with that bit of extra pace. And I suppose India, they didn't have someone who could crank it up to 90. Jasper Bumrah have... was not there, was he? Guys? Yeah, I mean, obviously we haven't mentioned that, that they were missing him and obviously he's their key cutting edge. But... Maybe on the day, it wouldn't have made any difference. I mean, England just played so well with the bat that you felt that even if they had, you know, four West Indies quicks at them, they would still have gone <laughs> gone at a rapid rate. Yeah. Some days, you know, it, it happens, doesn't it? You have a glorious day out, and that was what England had today. I mean, I, I thought their World Cup semi-final win against Australia uh, back in 2019 in the 50-over World Cup was, was just about pound for pound their best ever a one-day international performance. You, you, know, you think big game, Australia, World Cup on the line, and they they played an almost perfect game that day. They they were absolutely superb. They won the match well inside the distance, really confidently, no no, no trouble at all. And there was sort of an element of that uh, today as well, almost a, a perfect T20 game. They did get a bit knocked off their perch in the last few overs of their their bowling effort when they they started to go around the park. I mean, Jordan in the seventeenth over. Where are we? Jordan, the 18th over, went for 15. Curran, the next over, went for 20. And then Jordan just dragged it back a bit in the last over, went for 12, and they picked up a couple of wickets as well just to, to hold things back. But there were you know, there were times when India were scoring, every over they were scoring at least 10 off the over in the, in the, in the back end. And you thought, yeah, 168. But as it turned out, what, no, no trouble at all. I mean, the, the way they played, I mean, they could have, how many could they have chased? They might, might have chased over 200. I know it's a different... Uh, issue with scoreboard pressure and all that sort of thing but yeah I mean just a, a remarkable opening uh, batting performance from Butler and Hales yeah and uh, they're also just one other thing about England the fielding held up well again uh, some slightly tricky catches were taken with ease Sam Khan I thought caught a good one to get rid of Rohit Sharma just when he was looking dangerous running in from deep mid wicket Rashid, an excellent catch at backward point or a short third man to the slice that uh, that Coley tried to create a, a wide ball for four. And that was a really sharp catch. And also the, the catch on the boundary to get rid of Yadav by Phil Salt coming into the game. You know, he must have been a bit nervous at such a big game like that. And he looked calm under the high ball. Uh, so those three catches were held. And of course, India, with that one chance to get rid of Butler, they fumbled it and knocked it over the line as well, which I thought kind of almost, I know that was by then the game was lost, but 
still it sort of rather symbolised the, their error-strewn fielding effort. Well, in our podcast yesterday, uh, Yoz, we talked about the, the makeup of England's team and you know, who they should play. And in the end, they went for, for Salt and Jordan. I mean, who would have thought that Phil Salt wouldn't have even had a bat and, and, the, and the rest of the, the batting lineup? Uh, and that was the, due to the brilliance of, of Butler and, and Hales at the top. So they now move on to Melbourne, the final. Um, I presume the crowd is still going to be, you know, touching 90,000. There'll be a few people who've got tickets for that game who are probably desperately trying to get rid of them, uh, perhaps off to India supporters to Pakistan uh, supporters. I mean, Pakistan have got a big, uh, passionate support as well. There'll be a little bit of support uh, for England. I presume some Australians will come along as well. It'd be interesting to see what the turnout will be on Sunday, actually, you know, how, whether the tickets have changed hands, whether there's going to be 90,000 or whether it'll be, you know, down 40, 50,000, something like that, with no India in the final. Do you know, it's funny because I was at the, the World Cup final in 1992 in Melbourne, which, of course, is, as I said at the start, a repeat of, of this uh, this. Uh, this match coming up, England Pakistan, and uh, there were. I got the. It was. I think the final was on a Wednesday, bizarrely, and I flew was back. It? No, I don't think. I it think was. it was. I think it really? was on. A, I think it was on a Wednesday. We can check uh, as we're chatting. But um, I flew back to England either on the Thursday or the Friday, and I remember being on a Thai Airways flight and just chatting to people there was a it was in i think i was in business class bizarrely which is quite unusual and there was a bar and i was sort of standing at the bar sort of chatting in the days when flights on the upper deck had a had a bar for the for the guests and uh i was chatting with these two guys who were obviously english uh, and they said they were both from bristol and they'd gone to the world cup final having found out that england were in it they'd literally bought two tickets from Bristol via London to Melbourne to watch the final, uh, they told their wives they'd gone up to London for a meeting, for a conference, <laughs> and gone all the way to Melbourne and watched the final, watch England lose, and then flown back. Uh, it, it was an amazing occasion, actually, that final, um, obviously because of the new Southern stand, which is now the Shane Warne stand, had only just been built. And it was the first time it was full. And it was just, it was like... I was up at the top of the stand because I thought I'd sort of experience that, that sensation of the biggest cricket stand in the world right at the top. And actually, I remember watching Derek Pringle uh, bowling, you know, one of the early overs. And the players were like specks, tiny little specks in the distance. And I couldn't see the ball at all. So I didn't spend much time at, at the top of the stand, but it was full. You know, and I, someone told me, I think that stand itself holds about 30,000 or something. So... If it is full on Sunday, it's going to be incredible, isn't it? With the noise and the buzz of it. I mean, wow, it would have been even more incredible if it had been India v Pakistan. And I guess the organisers are slightly disappointed that, that England have sneaked through or hammered their way through. But I'm sure it'll still be a tremendous, a tremendous event. I've just put what day of the week was the 25th of March 1992 into a search engine. And bingo, the answer has come up. It was a Wednesday. Why on earth are they holding the final on a Wednesday? So you'll get you're getting a bit older, yours, but your memory still holds. So um, uh, well done on that one. So was it was there in 1992? Was there a, a lot of Pakistan support? Was it was it was it like the sort of support we experience now? I don't think so. No, it it, it wasn't. Uh, I mean, I don't recall 
a big Pakistani contingent because I think that, you know, it, the, in a way, I don't think the, to, to, to sort of make a very general point, I don't think the Indian diaspora, which is sort of including Pakistan in a way, had quite swelled across the world as it has now. You know, we're talking 30 years ago, and I think there would be less uh, a Pakistani community in Melbourne at that time. And uh, also, they, they hadn't played particularly well in the tournament. They, they sort of got into the final almost by accident uh, uh, with that last-ditch run chase in, in Auckland, getting them through the semi-final, having been a no-hopers during the group stages. So they wouldn't have had sort of travelling fans either, and I just think that there just wasn't that kind of cosmopolitan essence to Melbourne quite as much as there is now. You know, it's the, I think it's the second most populous Greek city in the world, isn't it, after Athens as well. But obviously it's a real polyglot Melbourne now, and I'm sure there's lots of uh, you know people who were born in Pakistan or have Pakistani heritage there to, to take up the, the option of a few Indian tickets, which will now be on the market. Uh, and, and it, you know, it will probably feel like a more more of a home game for Pakistan. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that 1992 final, always sort of harking back to it, that was 50 overs, wasn't it? It wasn't uh, 20 overs. It, it's, it's 30 years ago, but it's an in England-Pakistan final. And England, they lost it by 22 runs. Some tremendous bowling. I remember from Wazim Akram, but I mean, Derek Pringle, not whenever we see Derek, but if you get him onto the subject... Um, I think he feels that umpire Buckner should have raised his finger a couple of times. Uh, more he says, I he was robbed. Uh, he, he's got that I was robbed sort of uh, yeah. mantle, hasn't he, when, when you ever mention the World Cup final. Yeah. And I, I remember seeing that at the time. And actually, I've analysed one of those uh, balls in, in slow motion a few times. I mean, obviously, the cameras uh, in, in 1992 weren't as good. The replays weren't as sharp. We didn't have HD and things like that. But I've watched that replay to Jawed Miandad a number of times, and it was... Absolutely, <laughs> plum LBW that for some reason Steve Buckner didn't give. Uh, it's a shame for for Pring. Um, it will go to his, it'll haunt him to his grave, won't it? Well, but well, but it was a stunning performance by Pakistan, and, and in in particular was in Macram those two wickets in two balls when Lamb and Fairbrother were going really well, looking on course for England to chase the score of two forty or. 249, I think, wasn't it? And they were playing really well. And then Wazim Akram came back on, bowling round the wicket. And he bowled that ball to Alan Lamb, totally unplayable, angled in from round the wicket and then straightening with late reverse swing, bowled him off stump, absolutely fantastic delivery. And then produced a ball that swung the other way to Chris Lewis, next delivery, and he dragged it on. And suddenly the game was was up for England. Fairbrother tried his best, but England were just sort of fell behind the rate and couldn't quite kind of get there, didn't have the back end power in a way that England teams do now. And the Pakistanis just kind of swarmed all over them in the end and, and really deserved the victory. Yeah, it was a very good performance from Pakistan in the in the field. I mean, England were 69 for four, chasing 250 to win. Pakistan made uh, 249. And they recovered to 141 for four in the 35th. And then, then that Lamb Lewis um, double from Wazim Akram, 141 for six. I mean, they did have a bit in the tail in those days. I mean, they, they had Lewis at seven, Daffy. Dermot Reeve at eight, Derek Pringle at nine, Phil Freitas at 10, and Richard Ingworth yeah. at 11. Well, that's, it's not, that's the, it's not the worst. It's not the worst no, it isn't. Uh, lower order, no, is it? No, that's a fair point, actually. Um, I mean, Richard Ingworth was a blocker, but Daffy, De, De Freitas, was yeah. actually a dangerous hitter. Yeah. So. 
in a way, I, I should take that back. Mm. They did have some power at the bottom, but they they just weren't able to utilise it because the Pakistani bowling was so good. Yeah, well, incredible, uh, uh, remarkable triumph from Pakistan uh, in, in 1992. What, what about Sunday's final then? I mean, these two teams, it's fair to say, know each other pretty well. <laughs> They've just come off the back of, well, a seven-match series and they played a warm-up match against each other as well in Australia. So they've actually met eight times uh, recently. Uh, I mean, that, that's an incredible stat in itself. England have come out on top in those games, but then recently England, uh, India have come out on top against England. So, I mean, it's, it's, it, to me, it looks like a 50-50 game, do you think? Or do, do you think England, because of their performance today, are slight favourites? But then, they, you know, you think back to what they did to Australia in the World Cup semi-final of 2019, and then the final was an incredibly sort of... Well, what happened in the final? Um, uh, I don't know. <laughs> so someone should make a documentary <laughs> sure. about it. Well, yes, and, and thank you for that uh, little kind of lead-up because there was a lovely scene in our documentary, The Greatest Game, uh, which was from the England media liaison man, Danny Rubin's phone. He filmed a little uh, conversation, a little address by Trevor Bayliss, the coach, to the team just after they had celebrated that brilliant win in the semi-final against Australia and they were all patting each other on the back and cheering and fist pumping and all that and Trevor Bailey stopped them dead and this is what he said. I put my Australian cap on now and, and tell you why Australia thinks England uh, don't win finals. You win a semi-final and, they, and you think you've won it. We haven't won anything yet. The next game's the most important one so let's make sure we're 100% for that. And it was a lovely little intervention which the players all sort of looked at each other and thought, mm, yeah, actually, he's got a point there. And it just brought them all back down to earth. And that's what they need to do again, isn't it? That there will be a, a slight temptation to be cheering from the rooftops after that demolition of India. But I think now they've all been around the houses long enough to know that they've got to come down to earth very quickly and think very rationally about how they're going to beat Pakistan. Yeah, well, that's Matthew Mott's job uh, to deliver that sort of speech, isn't it? The, another Australian coach in that England dressing room who's uh, in the, the background as England have got through to a, another World Cup final. Pakistan, very strong bowling attack, quite reliant on their top order of, of Barbara Zam and Mohamed Rizwan, as we saw in their semi-final victory. Indeed, as we saw quite a lot in that England series, when they generally when the, the top two did well, uh, Pakistan did well. They had that uh, stunning partnership when they chased clo close on 200. It might have been, been 200 to beat England in one of those matches in that seven-match series. It, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a great sort of it's a great matchup, isn't it? I think in England England Pakistan final, uh, and it, it's it's very difficult to predict which way it's going to go because I've um, been pretty hopeless in my tipping so far. I thought I thought India would win today. I thought South Africa and Australia or South Africa dark horses. Australia would win the tournament. I'm definitely going for a Pakistan victory on Sunday. I think it's absolutely clear that they're going to win and, and reproduce what they managed uh, 30 years ago. But it's it's, it's going to be a Let's say for a really gripping occasion. We had a great final in 2019. Let's hope for, for something similar when the two teams uh, meet on Sunday. So is that your theory, your strategy, your philosophy there is <laughs> if you say what is going to happen, it definitely won't happen. I, I, it's funny, but, you know, I, I, it takes me back to years with, with my parents, um, but which are both of whom sadly passed away now. But they... 
they used to sit at the table and my mother worked out that if she said something that she didn't want, my father would politely argue with it and do say the other thing and that which she would actually get Go in the end way. what she wanted. Uh, so that, that was a strategy which I think you're employing today. I'm well, going to say England are going to win and I've been saying it all along without all the time having a lot of conviction but... I just feel they've got so many options, especially with the bat and actually with the ball. I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting the way they just kind of bring, bring Stokes on to open the bowling, for instance. I'm not sure I wouldn't do that because I think opening the bowling, that first over is so important to set the tone, to use a horrible cliche. But it's, it's, it's a one over when the ball does actually swing and Stokes does swing it. But is he the best person to really exploit that? I think I would be giving the first over to either Sam Curran or Chris Wokes to really make sure they utilise that swing as much as possible and hopefully get an early wicket. Stokes, I know Stokes sometimes does get an early wicket, but it tends to feel like it's a little bit lucky. Whereas I, if you use your best bowlers in that first over, but, you know, credit to England, you know, they do turn up with some unexpected people. They bowl Rashid in the power play mm -hmm. in this match. And and he he did delivered. Um, you know, they, they change it around a little bit in the middle of the innings. Liam Livingston sometimes comes on. Obviously, Moen Ali is available if they're a left-handed batsman uh, at the crease, though not many in the uh, Pakistan side. Shan Masood's probably the only one I'm thinking. So unlikely to use left-handers. But looking at the Pakistani batting, it's not that good after the openers. You know, the openers are supreme, Barbara Azam and Mohammad Rizwan, but. After that, not entirely convinced. Sean Masood has, has done a manful job at number three, but he hasn't been, he doesn't set the world alight. He kind of ticks the, the keeps the scoreboard ticking over. They've got a one or two players who can smack it, Iftikar being one, um, Asif being another. Harris. But, yeah, actually, Harris have got, no, I've forgotten yeah. him. And, I, I, you know, he's come into the side late. So he's dangerous. He's their sort of, uh, their X factor in a way. Um, he could come off, I suppose. But I sort of feel. You know, they haven't got a lot after sort of number six, really. Whereas obviously England have got that that back end of Livingston, Moen Ali, Chris Woke, Sam Curran that is very dangerous, and that's where I think possibly England will have an advantage. Yeah, well, uh, the, the point about it is on their day, um, both sides clearly are good enough to win, aren't they? And 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 take down the other side, one-off match. I mean, it, I mean, they sort of had a final at the end of that series. Uh, when it was level uh, in, in Pakistan and England won the final game. So they've sort of got a bit of experience of that, winning it, you know, winning it against the crowd as well. So that, that experience will uh, stand them in good stead. But it's a World Cup final. It's a completely different type of experience, different conditions, uh, massive crowd in. And, yeah, I, who knows who's going to win? I mean, you can, it, it, it's, it's such a, I think it's a 50-50 call really. Yeah, and, and it, that's the beauty of this tournament, really, that you can throw up unexpected results. We've had one today. We had one the other day. Uh, so uh, two teams that didn't really look likely to get to the final, well, certainly Pakistan didn't anyway. Well, well, I think uh, England, and England after, Ireland, after the Ireland defeat yeah, as well, yeah, and England. Uh, yeah, they, they, you know, they've got there, and it's now anyone's game, and I'm really looking forward to it. Sunday morning from the MCG uh, with the shorter straight boundaries and longer square boundaries. So England will be hoping Mark Wood can regain his fitness because I think he'll be important 
using the shorter ball to try and take wickets mm. in the middle of the innings to those longer square boundaries. Yeah, and both sides have had experience of playing at the MCG in this uh, World Cup already. So, uh, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll be familiar with the conditions, but will they be familiar with the pressure of the day? And uh, that, well, it's, it's all to look forward to uh, a really mouth-watering occasion on Sunday, and we'll be back on Sunday to look back at the game and to work out which of us was right, whether it's you, Yoz, going for England or me going for Pakistan. And if you want to get in the mood for the final, don't forget our, our documentary, The Greatest Game, is on Sky Documentaries on Catch Up whenever you want to watch it. And keep a tissue handy because you might shed a tear, but you'll also need a bottle of champagne to celebrate an amazing win. Perhaps England can match it on Sunday. Let's hope so. Sports Social Podcast Network.